Today on the podcast, I've got a Boise State basketball legend joining me. We're going to learn about his college days, his pro days, and even now his days as a coach for a youth basketball club. You do not want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Guru! Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru. Now, this is a very special episode of the Game Time Guru because while I love all the guests that have been on my show in the past, it's not every day that you get to interview your childhood idol. Now, I legitimately mean that. This this guy that's on my show today was the reason that I changed my shot in basketball. I used to shoot two-handed. Because I watched this guy, I started shooting just like him because I wanted to be like this guy. When people ask me who was your favorite player, I'm a jazz fan. Back in the the late 90s, people thought that I was going to say Carl Malone. I never said Carl Malone. I used my guest's name as my favorite player. So I'm legitimately excited to have him on the show with me today. And in Boise State basketball history, before there was Booker Neighbors, Kobe Carl, Matt Bauscher, Derek Marks, Chandler Hutchison, and other greats that have been in the last 20 years, there was this team in the late 90s at Boise State University, led by this guy. And you got chills every time you'd, you'd, you'd hear the starting lineups. You got used to hearing it every single time. People waited for it. That 6'6 senior from Tacoma, Washington, number 20, Roberto Bergerson. And that is who is joining me on the show today. Berto, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to join me on the show. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, uh, that's uh... That's big time stuff, man. I really, I, I really appreciate that. It, it all, you, you gave me chills, honestly. Just you know, with that, you know, just the way you you spoke about about me and the effect that I had on on, on you and stuff, and it almost kind of brings me a little bit to, to some emotions a little bit, just because it, it's um, you know, you, you forget you know you know where you've been, and it just makes people feel good to know that they were appreciated. You had little guys like yourself when you were young. Um, looking up in the, in the impact you have, and sometimes you forget about the impact that you that you do have. And so I, I really appreciate it, man. That's that's um that's a big deal. That's a big thing. Well, yeah, I appreciate you, man, more than you even know. So like, it's crazy because I was in fourth grade, and um, they didn't know Boise State basketball because back then, like, they didn't play Boise State basketball games on TV a lot. Like the the only way you get to go see them is actually at the game. And my uncle was a huge Boise State fan and he took me to all the games like that he possibly could so like I'd save all the newspaper articles I'd save everything because and I just went through them last night I'm 29 years old now um, and I, I pulled out these newspaper articles last night I legitimately have a couple pulled up right now which we're going to get to in a second because they're memories but like I've got one of you throwing down an alley-oop against Utah State G-Dub threw you a noop and uh, I got another one with the Washington game so we'll get to that in a second I also would like to state real quick that I actually got to interview in the interview you in the fourth grade. Uh, your wife was actually working with my mom at the time, um, and I got to interview you. And you actually sent me a few things. You got me a a full roster picture 
with your with, and it said shoot for the stars and then you you signed it then you got me a <laughs> I still got it right here this big west basketball uh program from a game and it's got you on the front cover and you, you signed a Roberto Bergeson number 20 and I got it right here so anyways <laughs> it's like 20 years later I'm still like the the big like the fan like I'm your, your biggest fan so it's crazy man so yeah I greatly appreciate it. it's an honor to have you on here and I want to start in your college days when you first stamped your legacy in the Treasure Valley now I know that there's like a lot of a lot of memories in college but I want to know like in, in those two years it was kind of a young team like those teams were kind of young especially your, your second year like your last year with Boise State like the 98-99 I believe it was it is is mainly a lot of youngins except for a few of you that were leading the team and uh I wanted to know what your favorite part was about being on those teams. Well, I mean, uh, my my favorite part, um, I mean, I guess to start with, to be honest with you, my favorite part about just being, you know, at Boise State, being a Bronco and, and being in Boise was, was absolutely the community. And, um, you know, just the way that I was embraced. Um, you know, I was at a time in my life that I, I was very um, – I was very immature, you know, really, really, really up and down. Just kind of had, I said, bipolar is going on in my life, and um, and I didn't have a whole lot of a, a lot of, of structure. And, and you know, um, when my when my my high school coach Ed Boyce was the assistant at Boise State, he's the one that that convinced me and brought me there. I didn't really have a lot, so he was, he was kind of saying to me, but he just kind of told me, you know, you're gonna love this community. The community's gonna love you. Um, I, I, I won't forget the day that he talked to me and said, you're, you're going to have a major impact in this community. It's going to do the same for you. And, um, and, and I hope that I, I was able to reciprocate what the community did for me. But the best part of being a blocker was just, um, I mean, that community helped, helped to save my life. Really. So, I mean, I, I, that's, that, that's what I remember most about Boise. Um, as far as being on the team, um, it, it was just, um, it was the it was the God. It was the brothership, the brotherhood that I created and to this day, um, you know, just thinking back to the guys that, that helped me out when I first got there. He wasn't a player but um he was a coach and he was a past but he was a uh, a past player, former player, Shambrick Williams and Joe Wyatt, um and J D Lean and then um, you know, um, you know, to this day my best friend in the world is um, you know, Jerry Washington, Justin Lyons and Keywan Woods, um, you know, those guys, um, you know, I still see Abe, still see Booker, um, you know, um, ran into Rich Morgan uh, a couple of months ago. Um, you know, those guys, Clint Horton, those guys just creating that bond and having that, um, you know, Clayton Brothers, um, CJ Williams, I still talk to him every, you know, every week. Um, it, it's just, you can't trade that stuff in and that experience that you create and you have and you create with them, you know, last with you for so long and, and it was such an enjoyable experience with you. Um, so, you know, that, I mean, obviously the relationship I have with community and the relationship I have with my brothers was the best thing that ever, you know, was the best part of being a Bronco. Man, you bring up those names. Like you just dropped, name dropped a couple of guys that just, like it, it rings in my head. Like as much as I love Boise State, I graduated from there. I go to tons of games. They've seen so much success like in the last, you know, probably the last 10 years or so, they've got those, you know, a couple, couple seasons where they were really great. It's just crazy because for some reason I just always remember 
those days because it was it was you it was g-dub it was kiwan um abe was really young but still he was kind of like he was he, we knew he could shoot because when he got in the game he could he could actually shoot when he was young so then he then he proved himself later on in his career man it's just crazy that you name dropped all of him now i'm like ah going through memory lane again um and speaking of <laughs> speaking of your players man i know like you and jerry washington you pretty much led the team you guys were the the leaders on the squad but you named a lot of guys. I want to know. I mean, I lo- I know you loved all of them, but if you were to play pickup ball and needed just one player, and you guys were all in your prime <laughs> from that squad, who would you take? Oh, from that team, Ooh, man, um, that's a tough one. Um, from that, uh, yeah, you know what? If, if from that team, it would it would it would have been Jerry. It would have been Jerry. Um, Jerry was absolutely um, highly. I mean, this is, this is I, I mean, I have to be honest with you, man, this is, this is tough right now to even talk about this stuff. But um, just because it's Jerry um, right. and everything that happened to him. But uh, Jerry was, the, was the, the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate competitor. Um, after Jerry got sick, I changed my number from 20 to 11. And the reason why I did it was because I wanted to honor him. And I, and I basically had a point in my career where I – I changed the way that I felt like I needed to play. And I started to play in a way where I just played with reckless abandon because that's the way he played. Um, I always thought that I played hard until um, I played with Jerry. And he was the type of dude that it didn't matter whether it was practice games or open gym. He was diving on the floor for balls. He was defending guys like no other. I mean, he would foul you. He would do whatever it took to win, and he would give I mean, every, every ounce of effort that he had. And I never, ever, ever met anybody that played as hard as he did. Um, and then on top of that, he was absolutely a killer. I mean, we used to tease Jerry a lot about, hey, why don't you play like this in real games? Because, I mean, in, in open gym, in open gym, hands down, like no one could absolutely stop him. I mean, he was unstoppable, and it was ridiculous. And then we get to the game, and he wouldn't do the same thing, but it was different. I mean, it was the way, it was the role that he took on, and he would tell you. Well, in the games, you know, this is the role that I play. I don't, I don't, you know, we're all on the same team. So if I have Berto on my team or some or Kimon on my team, I'm gonna be a facilitator. But if I'm in open gym and I don't have those guys on my team and I have to do this, I'm gonna do that. Um, so I, I would absolutely, I, I would have to say that would be a tough one. I have to pick Jerry, um, and I think a close second to Jerry. Um, he wasn't actually on my team, but he came a little bit after me. But I played so much with him that he would be a close, close, close second to Jerry, and that's Jason Ellis. Um, and he is by far probably, you know, one of the top five guys that I've ever played with, um, played a long time with in my career. And um, I only got to play with him in a regular season just one year. When, oh, two years, actually. We played with the Stampede together. One year we won a championship. Um, the other year, you know, um, we did really well. But... Those would be the two guys that I would pick. If I could have those two guys on my team, I think I I I don't care who you would. I'd match up against anybody. I love it, man. I love it. Again, Jason Ellis, another name drop, man. So that's awesome. Ah, it's crazy, like hearing those names and seeing like the chemistry you had, especially with Jerry, obviously, because like that's when I got to see you play quite a bit when when you know you guys were in college. It was just unreal. And like I said, I have the newspaper here. Uh, one of the games, it just says. Uh, completes a, okay. Roberto Bergeson completes a spectacular dunk off an alley oop pass from teammate Jerry Washington on Thursday night. You guys had this chemistry, man, and it was just unreal to watch it on the court. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I want to talk about something here uh, to 
to talk about the the atmosphere, if you remember um, the crowd during those times. I mean, from from my perspective, I was a little kid, so maybe it was just blown out of proportion. But I thought back then the Pavilion, which is now the Taco Bell Arena, I felt like that place got packed almost every single night that you guys played. Uh, I thought it was like just sold out or close to it almost every single game uh, during those times. But maybe it was just me being little and I thought there was a lot of people there. But what was your, your thoughts on the atmosphere at the Boise State Pavilion back then? It was absolutely incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, to this day, um, I've played in some amazing places. You know, I, I mean, I got to play at Madison Square Garden and Staples Center when it's packed, and, and McHale, or, you know, it's not called McHale anymore, Arizona, which is an amazing place to play. And played in Europe. And in, in Europe, the, the fans in Europe um, are a whole different level of passion than, 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 than our fans are. Um, but saying that, there's, there's never, I've never experienced the energy in any of those places like I did um, at what I still call the pavilions. <laughs> right. um, and so you didn't, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong at all. I mean, and it was, I mean, to kind of sum it up, I mean, I remember my first, my first year at Boise State um, and my sophomore year and um, we're getting ready to go to a game and, and we actually, it snowed really, really bad. And we got through a shoot around. It wasn't bad. And then we went home for shoot around and, and hung out a little bit and took our naps and everything else. And it was absolutely um, packed. We were snowed in. And um, Justin Lyons and I kind of were, were hanging out. And um, he was going to be that he was going to be my driver to the game. And he had a little um, he had a front wheel drive Mustang 5.0, and we couldn't move it. Like we could not move it. So we called. We we called you know our our vet up and we called Mike Tolman who obviously was 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 a little bit older than us. Called him up and like Mike, can you come get us? And I called Mike and I when he called him, I said, Mike, are they gonna cancel the game? And he goes, Are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'm like, Well, we can't even move anywhere. Like, how is anybody gonna be at this game? And I can't remember exactly who it was. I believe it might have been Idaho State. It wasn't like you know, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't Idaho. It wasn't, you know, we didn't play, it wasn't playing Washington, a top 10 team in the nation, anything like that. And so I'm thinking there's not going to be nobody here at this game. And I mean, it's like, I mean, it was one of those, it was one of those snows where it was a big time snow. It was like one of the, you know, biggest at the time. And we get to the game and I mean, it is literally packed. I mean, it is packed house in there. I mean, and it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And that was my like first experience and basically saying, oh my goodness, this is going to be, you know, in the the game experience is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be exciting, and it was jacked up. And so that that one right there just kind of summed it up for me. And then, um, you know, the rest of our career. I mean, yeah, we did. We had packed houses. I mean, it didn't matter who came in there. I mean, it could have been Cal Poly, who was you know last place in the Big West, and they were in there to watch us play the whole time. So, um, it, you know, I can't say enough about the fans and the fan support and the community support that for the Broncos while I was there. Man, see, that's that's how I thought it was, so I'm glad that it wasn't just me. It's also from a player's perspective because, yeah, I was little, so I thought it was – maybe I thought it was bigger than it was. But, no, I remember that place getting loud. People were screaming the whole entire time. I mean, we'd get on the other players. My uncle would always – he'd get seats that were, like, near the opposing bench, and we were behind the backboard, so he could just scream. He was about 22, 23 at the time, but he'd just be screaming – at the other players, and I just remember, like, I loved it, just heckling the other guys and just getting into it. It was so much fun. Um, do you have a favorite game that you played in in college? 
Oh my goodness, that's tough. Um, because there's a, I have I have I mean I have probably have a couple. I don't know if I can say a favorite. Um, the, the UW game was obviously a special game. Um, you know, playing so well and playing against my former team, and they were top ten in the nation, so that was a great game. Um, that that was huge. Um, but I, you know what? I think if I if I think back on my on my favorite game, it probably wasn't even at Boise State. It was at Cal Fullerton. We were playing at Cal Fullerton, and um, I was a sophomore. Um, and I hit a game winner. I hit a game winner um, that I, I I kind of feel like it was the shot and it was the game. We won the game. And it was, I feel like it was the game that kind of propelled propelled my career to where it went at Boise State. Um, I think if it wasn't for that shot or that game, I think I still would have been good, but I don't know. If it, I mean, it was just one of those things that kind of gave me a, a shot in the arm and gave me some confidence that just kind of took me to, you know, um, you know another another level. So I remember that game. Um, like I said, I obviously remember, remember the UW game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll definitely remember. Um, I, you know, I don't know if anybody can remember, but I had two senior nights. I had two senior right. nights. <laughs> and, um, you know, my first senior night was with Steve Shepard, and uh, that was my roommate when I first got there. I'll never forget that game. I'll never forget, you know, um, having that last experience with him. And then obviously my second senior night um, with D-Dub was, is, I'll never forget that game. I'll never forget that night ever. Um, and that was, it, it was just it was an incredible experience. So those are probably the games I remember the most. Oh, that's awesome. And speaking of your two senior nights, I was at the first one and the second one. I remember the first one I was sitting in the balcony because it got packed in there, man. We had to get seats up in the balcony, man. So, <laughs> and, it, and we were all like, I hope we can get one more year of eligibility. Like everybody was just, we were hoping and it, it worked out. So that's rad. Um, in regards to the UW game, just real quick, man, I I don't know if I've been to a, a Boise State basketball game that was, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously they were a great team, um, top 10, top 15, can't remember exactly, but they were, they, like you said, they were a really good team and it's all obviously your former school. And man, what I remember from that game was y'all being down 20 to four. And I remember you, it was, we were getting rocked and I was sitting there with my dad and my uncle and I had a keychain I used to always just hold in my hand. It was like a, my lucky charm. I was superstitious when I was in fourth grade. But anyways, I'm sitting there with a keychain and uh, you're down 20 to four. You go on a 17 nothing run and Clint Horteman hits a three from the corner. It's like to, to top it off and you go up 21 20. And then from there, it was just like, everyone started clicking and I remember you just going crazy. And then you got a standing ovation when you went off the court, we ended up winning. It was one of the coolest experiences I've, I've, I've been a part of. And I remember where I was sitting, what happened that game. It was just insane. That game was just nuts, man. And I think, um, like all of us in Boise that were at those games and were following Boise state basketball, we knew that you had the national spotlight there. Like we knew what you could do. Um, but it was weird because it seemed like it took a lot for, the nation to kind of get behind that. And then all of a sudden there's this sports illustrated situation that's going on. Um, sports illustrated decides, Oh, they, they catch wind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like this Roberto Bergeson guy, he's, he's pretty good. He's gotta be pretty good. He's, he took down Washington earlier in the season. Like, man, like we should go check him out. Um, and they were going to publish an article about you. Uh, what was it like that whole experience from like the, the, maybe the nerves or anything and then getting into the magazine and actually having an article written about you? Well, 
I mean, it, it was, it really was. I mean, it was kind of a, it was kind of a dream come true. I mean, it was kind of like, like, no way. Like, I mean, I grew up reading Sports Illustrated. I mean, I grew up, you know, trying to, trying to do book reports on Sports Illustrated articles and teachers would tell me, no, you can't. Cause I mean, that's all I read, you know, I mean, that's all I wanted to, all I wanted to read is all I wanted to know about. And so when, when they said they were coming out, um, cause they actually came out, the game they came out to was the Utah State game. Um, and uh, they came out and took pictures and did all that stuff and interviewed at that game. And and that game I didn't play very well. Um, I remember they played a boxing one against me. And, um, we, and, and, they, and, and we were on a roll. We were on a high. And, and they, you know, Stu Moore was a great coach, man. He always, he, you know, he was kind of like, kind of like the Belichick in the Big West. He would always figure out a way to take away, you know, your best thing and make you do something different. And so um, when they came in, it was, it was surreal. It was a surreal moment, and um, I really, really, I mean, to this day, I mean, that's one of the things I wish I could go back. I wish so many things I would have did different in that game, so we could have won that game. It would have, it would have, you know, it almost would have been a fairy tale type deal, but, you know, it was. It was surreal, the experience, and then when that article came out, and, you know, every people were passing it around, and my family wanted 50 copies, and everybody, and, right. you know, even to, this, even to this day, I have people that bring that bring it to me, and I still can I feel it's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to believe um, that I was actually in a Sports Illustrated magazine. I mean, and not just, okay, just a little blurb. I mean, I was in there. I mean, it, it was a picture and everything. I mean, it was, it, it's a cool thing. It's a cool thing and it's something that, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that that, that you, that, that, that you're proud of and not because you're in the magazine and not because they were promoted, but, you know, I mean, um, you know, just you're proud of, of you were accomplished enough that people would recognize you. Um, you know, the kids this day won't won't recognize it because there's so much, you know, self promotion and so much promoting on Twitter and, and and all that. But to have yourself and have your name number one in a newspaper, but two in a national magazine, that, that's 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 just um, it's, it's 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 you know, I don't know, I don't know, it's, it's a lot a lot a lot bigger than that. <laughs> it was so cool. Uh, I remember that Utah State game. In fact, that's the the article I have right here too. The Utah State game. I was there, and it was crazy. I mean, we could tell there was some nerves, and they were they were locking down on you on purpose. They they knew what was going on at that game stuff. So, but it was still awesome to see that Sports Illustrated article. I remember when my uncle actually got it. He had his whole you know year subscription. And he had Sports Illustrated stacked to the ceiling in his his uh, closet. And I remember when he when he had that man like. It was it was legit because if you really think about it, even the pros, like if you're a professional basketball player, even in the NBA, but you're you're riding the bench your whole career, you might make a decent living, but you might not even get into a magazine like that or whatnot, you know. So it's kind of cool to see that some guy from Boise was able to get a whole entire article written about him, and yeah, your <laughs> picture was in there, man. So that 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 stamps it. Um, so you got on the national spotlight. Obviously, the the NBA was looking at you. Um, let's get to the night of the NBA draft. Yeah, it was like, I remember sitting there watching on the TV, like my eyes were glued. Uh, everybody was watching it here in the Valley. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, I want you to walk us through your experience on draft night. Wow. Um, you know, it's another, it's another moment. I mean, you know, I don't know. If, oh man, a couple of, maybe even a couple of moments in my life that even, you know, get, you know, are at the same level or even exceed that moment. But, I mean, it was a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster. Um, I went back home to Tacoma to my grandparents' house where I was raised. Um, you know, where, where you know where I first you know ever had a dream of you know being like Dr. J or whatever it was. And um, lots of family and lots of friends were there. Um, you know, going into the draft, um, 
you know, the word that my agents were getting was that, you know, I was, I was, there was a good chance that I was going to be chosen um, in the first round by either Utah or Vancouver, um, which was great because they were both great fits. You know, for me, Vancouver was obviously close. Utah was close. Um, they both, you know, played a style that, you know, was, was had a little bit more structure with it. And, you know, lots of screens, light shooters, and, and, and uh, but also had a, an old school feel to them where, you know, they valued, you know, team defense and, you know, obviously coming from Coach J's system, that's, you know, something that, you know, was able. And so um, we, we thought that was going to happen. And, and, you know, we were there and hanging out and having a good time. And, and I was, I mean, I was a nervous wreck. I mean, I was a nervous wreck. Um, up until that day, um, you know, I hadn't taken a day off of basketball since I think my junior year in high school. I mean, literally, um, I hadn't taken a day off. And that day I told myself, okay, I'm going to relax and take that day off. I mean, I was up at 5 a.m. and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't think. And so the only thing that I've, I've, I've been able to do my whole life when, when I'm stressed or not feeling good is go to the gym. So I was into the, to the Y um, that I grew up at um, that morning, downtown Y in Tacoma, and went and just shot and shot and shot and shot until I could kind of try to get my mind off it. Didn't work very well. Um, but like I said, I had my family there and, and we were all just hanging out and, I, I can remember this to this day. I had three phones. I had my my grand my grandparents' landline. Um, I had my cell phone, and I must have been my wife's cell phone. Um, just because I just didn't want to miss the call. I mean, I was that nervous. Like, man, I can't miss this call. Like, I mean, you know, and if if the cell phone goes out, I need this landline. I had one in my pocket, and you know, my wife sitting next to me on one side, my grandmother on my other side, my coach was there, um, my mom was there. I mean, everybody was there. My grandfather was, you know. <laughs> cooking and keeping everybody company. Um, I'm glad, you know, my grandfather passed, you know, a couple years back. I'm glad he got to experience that, um, you know, because he, 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 he gets a lot of credit for, for um, me, my accomplishments. Um, but the first round's going and going and going, and, and, and my name's not being called. The two teams I thought was going to go to passed on me, and my agent's calling me, yeah, you know, you're, you know, they chose somebody else. And just like, man, I think I got to the point where I was like, well, maybe this doesn't happen. And so my agent calls me and he says, hey, you know, uh, the Detroit Pistons want to take you. It was, they had like the second or third pick in the second round. Second or third pick in the second round. And, um, but they're basically, they're not promising you anything. You got to come in. You got to earn your spot. Um, you know, you, you're going to have to make the team, this and that. He said, however, um, Portland has been calling us and they really like you, but they don't have a draft pick. And they are thinking about um, trading something for a draft pick if you would agree to come and, and sign a two-year deal. And so they, they want to give you a two-year deal um, for you for you if, if you would basically, if you, if you would wait to let them drop you. So I have to, so my agent's like, I have to tell Detroit not to draft you. So do you want to, do you want me to, do you want to go to Detroit or do you want to wait for this Portland deal? And it was a no-brainer. Again, Portland was close. They had a great team. Um, they had great guys to learn from, and they're telling they're telling me it was a two year deal on the table, guaranteed. I've been happy to make a team, so I I was like, yeah, please do. And so um, my agent just told me he said, you know, they're they're going to trade and they're going to find something, um, and they end up finding Atlanta, who took who, who had the pick, and they just said, hey, Atlanta's going to draft you, but the, but the pick, but you're automatically going to be tra- traded to Portland. So don't worry about it. 
And so I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. And so I think I might have told my wife and maybe my coach, but not anybody else in my family. And um, and and just because I just because it was one of those things I just didn't know. You know, I mean, he had already told me that I was gonna go in the first round. You know, I mean, so you just never know. But when and when my name came up and, and picked by Atlanta and everybody started cheering and literally my wife and I just broke into tears because um, it was just that it was just that much of a roller coaster and it was that emotional and it and it really was I mean it was a dream come true I mean it was a it was it, it really was it was like one of those movie movie moments I mean I think if you know if there was a, a, a an actual movie done you know about my life and that and that was like kind of that pinnacle and that was the the climax of the movie, I think, um, you know, I think it would be a pretty good story um, considering, you know, the things that we went through and came from. But um, that, it was a crazy moment and we just broke into tears and then I had to kind of let everybody know, no, I'm not going to Atlanta, I'm just going to Portland. And then there was another, a whole other, you know, uh, stream of emotions because everybody was excited that I was staying close to home. Um, and so, you know, I mean, and there, there was, you know, all of the local news was there, um, 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 my guy, big, big man, Johnson came out and, and, and videoed it, um, from Boise. Uh, it was just, um, it was a surreal moment. It was a surreal moment. It was, it was an incredible moment. And it was, and it was that much better to be able to share it with so many of, um, other people that I grew up with and the people that I loved and, and, and that supported me. So it was great. It was great. Man, that's so cool. Like, yeah, that's, I can't even imagine that experience, especially in the NBA draft, because in the NFL, you get like, you know, a hundred rounds to get drafted. No, I'm just kidding, but you get a lot of rounds to get drafted. There's an opportunity for you. There's a lot of players on your team. In the NBA, you got your two rounds, and uh, I mean, you, your chances are limited there, and it's kind of cool to hear that, like, you, you, the roller coaster that you went through, that's something that I didn't know. I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that whole experience that you were going through um so just to hear it from you and you can kind of feel the emotion there like go i'm like sitting here listening to it i'm like dang dude that'd be so stressful i'm like i'm feeling stressed out and that's what 20 years ago almost so eight whatever it is 18 19 years ago but uh man that's crazy uh so you get to the blazers so you get to the blazers and you're going through preseason and such with them like camp and whatnot I want you to explain that experience. Now you're a pro. Now it's not Boise State anymore. Now you're a professional. Talk about your experience that you had with the Blazers. Um, shoot, well, it was it was whirlwind. It was whirlwind. It was fast. It was furious, and it was packed, and it was um, it, it, it was just it was enriching. It was incredible. And so, on draft day, as soon as I got drafted, right after I, right after I got drafted, you know, I get a call from you know head coach, GM. Um, and then I got a call from, after I talked to the head coach and GM, I got a call from the assistant coach who at the time was Tim Gergerich, um, who's probably the greatest assistant to ever coach in the NBA. Um, and then Bobby Medina, who was the strength and conditioning coach at Portland, who I'm still good friends with to this day. Um, and those two called me and after the coach and GM called me and welcomed me and said, Hey, this is how you're doing. Those two called me and said, Hey, are you ready to get to work? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I just couldn't. I was just so excited to be there. And he pretty much said, "Well, you, you pack your bags." He said, "You got three days. Pack your bags. Three days, and we're, we're going to start to work." And, he, and they said, "Are you okay with that?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And so basically, what happened from there is, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed my time. You know, my family did some stuff, you know, and packed up and um, headed to Portland. And I got to Portland, and when I got there, I met those guys there, and met a couple of other free agent guys that were trying to get on the team and another second-round pick from the year before. 
Um, and we just and we just started working, and it was just it was just the most amazing experience ever. It was just the way you know guys worked. Um, I mean, we lifted, we worked out twice a day, we lifted twice a day. Um, my first time being in the Portland Trailblazers practice facility, I'd never been to a place like this ever in my life. I mean, it was almost like Disneyland, like literally for a basketball player, it was Disneyland. I mean, going there and there's, you know, I don't even know, eight, ten baskets, two full courts. I mean, all kind of, you know, you got shooting guns, you got going in there, there's, you know, masseuse in there, and you got, you know, training tables and hot tubs and cold tubs. I mean, every, I mean, it's like literally, I mean, everything that you would ever dream or desire from a basketball player in order to, you know, enjoy spirits. I mean, literally, I, 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 I literally lived there. I mean, there were nights that I actually slept at the facility, slept on the couch. I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, they got ping pong table and pool table and TV. So a lot of times I was just working the whole time. But I took breaks and, you know, I mean, but it was just, it was amazing. Um, and so we got to work right away, lots of workouts, lots of practice. And not shortly after that, we had to um, go to uh, summer league. So we had to play the summer league um, and went and played. My first summer league I played in was in L.A. at the L.A. Summer League at the Pyramid, which, you know, for me was, was familiar because we played at Long Beach State and played plenty of games there and had plenty of games there. And I played really well. Um, and so that year, um, the summer league guys that were kind of on the team already rostered with myself. Um, Bonzi and Bonzi Wells and um, Kelvin Cato. Um, and then Jermaine O'Neal played with us a little bit. He played here and there. Um, actually, Greg Anthony actually played in a couple of games with us as well, um, but not a lot. And so those are the guys that were um, were rostered. Um, oh, I'm sorry, we had another guy, Nikita Morganoff, who was, um, who was a Russian guy. Um, he was with us as well. But we played in the L.A. Summer League, um, did well. Enjoyed my time there. Straight from the L.A. Summer League, we went to the Salt Lake Summer League and um, went to Salt Lake and played, you know, played there. Did really well there as well. And um, we're getting ready to um, we're getting ready to leave Salt Lake. And you know, I'm thinking it's like, okay, hey, we got this break um, until you know we have to be back at training camp um, to come back. And so you get done with Summer League, you know, you're getting done, you know, um, in all, the beginning of August, and then you got until, you know, October until training camp. And my assistant coach said to me, he said, Hey, you're, you're, you're getting ready to go home. I was like, yeah. He's like, well, do you want to go? Um, do you want to go to Pete Newell's big man camp in Hawaii? And I kind of look at him and there was, you know, the first two thoughts were one, Pete Newell's big man camp. Why am I going there? And then two, it was like, man, um, you know, I want to go home and see my wife and kid. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I was like, you know, there's breaks. And I looked at him and he looked at me and, and I was like, there are people doing business that can't write. He was like, yeah, but it's just extra work. And when he said that to me, he said, it's just extra work. It was like, you know, I could not. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like that's, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I want to play basketball. And so I got to go home for two days. He was like, okay, you can go home, fly home. We'll get your, we'll get your flight, you know, back to Hawaii to Seattle. So I got to home for two days. I went home for two days. And then flew straight to Hawaii with the Pete Newell Big Man Camp, and it was all it was all NBA and college um, post players except for three guys: myself, Sean Marion, and Al Harrington. And we were the only three guys that weren't true posts. Now Al Harrington was a big guy; he was kind of like one of the big, 
you know, he was one of the, you know, one of the first guys that kind of the big wing, but he wasn't a post. Everybody else was, I mean, you know, Mark Madsen and Todd Bacola and I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, for all those players, you know, just all big dudes. And it was, it was an enjoyable time. And, um, I went there and I was doing both sessions. My, my, you know, my assistant coach was just a worker. I mean, he's like, you know, get as much work as you can. And so I actually did the work with the pro guys and the college guys. There was two sessions and, um, Brad Miller was there and me and Brad Miller actually hung out a lot. Um, um, and, um, there was, there was a, like I said, there was a pro session and a college session. I was going to both of them and I was doing both of them. And then one of them, I turned my ankle. Um, twisted my ankle, sprained my ankle, went to the trainer, and as I'm seeing the trainer, um, my assistant coach comes over and checks me out, like, how are you doing, blah, 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 and as I'm coming, here comes Pete Newell, and I hadn't actually met him yet, because he didn't run the camp anymore, but he was just kind of around, and I, and I met him, and Pete Newell, this, 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 you know, this legendary, you know, um, center from the NBA, looks at my assistant coach, and just goes, and I'll never forget this moment, he goes, don't be a willing horse. And as soon as he said that, my coach kind of looked at him. Um, coach Gergers looked at him, kind of rolled his eyes, and looked at me, and he said, uh, "He said, young fella, I, I I can't go against his word. So you're gonna have, you know, what are you gonna do?" He's like, "Are you gonna, you know, you're gonna sit, you're gonna play?" I was like, "No, I'm here. I gotta work out." And so he goes, well, "Why don't you only do just one session instead of two sessions?" And so I only did the first session. Um, I ended up doing the first session. And um, I'll tell this quick story because it's kind of a, an interesting story, um, and, and he'll remember it. So, the, so when the first session was over, the second session, we would go hang out. And I was hanging out with myself, Sean Marion, myself, Sean Marion, Al Harrington, and Leon Smith. Um, and we were riding um, mopeds. We went and rented the, those scooters, those mopeds. Right. And we're, pulling, and we're pulling off, and we get ready to hit this corner, and Al Harrington's first, and then Leon Smith, and then Sean Marion's right in front of me, and I'm last. And when we hit this corner... Sean Marion tries to turn, and he's in front of me, and he starts to skid out, and he starts to skid out. I'm kind of laughing at first, like, oh, wow. And then I see him kind of lose control, and he slides, and he skids out, and he skids totally out and slides and falls off the scooter, and the scooter literally just slides him under him, hits a lamp pole, and just obliterates it. I mean, just crushes it, falls into pieces. We had just drove away from the rental. The guy in the rental is the, that he sees it and running and screaming and yelling, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> so at first I'm kind of giggling, laughing. I'm like, oh crap, this, you know, it's kind of funny. But then I see Sean on the ground and I'm like, whoa. So then I run over to him. I park my run over. Are you okay? Are you okay? I get up. And this guy is just, I mean, his whole side of his body, leg and everything is just skinned up. I mean, just like, man, we got to take him. And I'm like, what in the heck are you doing? What's going on? Are you okay? I pick him up and he kind of picks himself up, brushes himself off and looks at me. He was like, I've never rolled one before. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? You've never driven a scooter. What the heck are you written for? Like, what are you talking about? And the guy's running over, and the guy's like, man, you owe me $700 or something like that. I mean, it was something ridiculous, you know, something number four. I mean, he goes to his ATM machine, puts his card in, takes the cash out, gives the guy the cash right there, you know. And then, you know, we obviously we had to take him and go get him, like, this and Boston or whatever. But it was, you know, I'll never forget that moment. It was kind of a crazy deal. Um, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, but when I do see him, and once in a while I see him, I'll, I'll remind him about it, you know, kind of a laugh about it. But, um, you know, so that was that was kind of the keynote experience. And so I thought I was going home from then, and we're getting ready to leave um, Hawaii, and my, uh, my coach says to me again, hey, we're going, and we're on the way back. Uh, to Portland, we're going to stop off for a week in L.A., and we're going to go work out some of our guys. 
Greg Anthony was living, was staying there at the moment. Um, uh, uh, Jermaine O'Neal, and then um, Stacy Ogden was also um, there. So we, so I didn't get to go home. I went straight to LA, and I worked out with those guys, and then I played in um, a couple of pro am games. They had the pro this pro am league down there called the Real Run, which at that time was actually better than the Drew League. Um, but the Drew League was just up starting and starting to go on, and so I kind of played in both of them. Um, and we would play in those. We would work out in the mornings. We would go to UCLA and do UCLA's um, open gym, which was an experience that I will treasure forever. The fact that I got to actually go and play um, against Magic Johnson, see Magic Johnson playing um, at an open gym at UCLA open gym, obviously, was a yeah, legend. Um, you know, it was crazy. Some other guys, Baron Davis was there, obviously, but he was still, you know, he was still playing. Um, so that was cool, but it was, it was, it was just taking my, it was, it, it was, you know, it was a whole another. We went down there for a week, and then after we went there, I, I finally got a chance. You're like, okay, hey, you, you get a chance. We got, you know, you can maybe go home. And um, I think I went home for one and one day, and after that one day, I had to be back in Portland because we had to practice for. We had a a mini camp in um, in Vegas, so we went to a, no no I'm sorry we didn't do that it was different sorry we went back to Portland we had a mini camp in Portland a mini camp to prepare for a training camp <laughs> it was crazy yeah. and so um, went to training camp got the training camp so I basically had three days I had three days um, you know at home during the whole summer after I was drafted I mean it was a whirlwind but it was um, I would I wouldn't. I, you know, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. And, you know, that kind of led me up to training camp. Um, and when we got to training camp, uh, a lot of stuff had changed. Um, a lot of guys that we thought were going were gonna to be on the team that got traded. They had to do like a six or seven tr- player trade. Stacey Ogden was one of the guys that got traded, which was sad for me because I had got to know him really well. He had kind of taken me under his wing, and he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, just a pro's pro and just the greatest guy, probably one of the greatest guys I've ever met. Got traded to Portland for for Scottie Pippen, um, and when I got to Portland, um, the number I chose uh, twenty was retired, so I didn't get to get have that. Eleven was taken by Detlef Shrimp, didn't get to give get, get that one. Um, I, I don't even remember what my next choice was. I think I had one other choice, and somebody else had it. Um, and so um, I chose thirty three. I chose 33. I had the number. I was 33 for the first, whatever, two days or three days of training camp. And then Scotty Pippen trade comes and he shows up. And when he showed up the, the next day on my locker, uh, no longer was 33. It was four. And it wasn't, I mean, there wasn't any conversation. There wasn't like, hey, hey, can I, you know, you hear all these, you hear these stories about these guys, you know, trading guys numbers or, or paying or taking them to dinner or whatever. And I'm, and and um, I didn't think about it when he traded, but when I got there, I thought about it. I'm like, man, nobody even asked me. <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> it's, you know, you know, here's the number. You know, you got a new number. And so, um, so got you know, Scotty Pippen showed up, and, and I was in, I was I had to admit I was in awe a little bit. Um, I hadn't at that point been in awe of anybody. I mean, I definitely looked up to Steve Smith and watched him a lot when I was young and loved him. But Scotty Pippen was just a little bit different. I mean, there was like a little bit of a like. I looked like oh, like I was like wow, this is Scotty Pippen, um, you know. And so um, that was a uh, that was a huge moment for me. And my first day of training camp, my first practice, um, I was on the second team. Scotty Pippen was guarding me, and I shot faked, 
and got Scotty on a pump fake and uh, hit a jump shot. And and that was absolutely um, – I don't know if I remember anything else that whole day of training camp, or maybe training camp, I do. That whole day, other than that, as soon as I got done with practice, I called Ed Boys, called my coach and said, Coach, I got Scotty Pippen today. I mean, it was it – was, <laughs> It was that type of moment. It was that type of moment. Um, and so after that, um, I, I had a really good camp. I mean, I had a really, really good camp. I had a really good training camp, everything. I mean, I played well. I think my first my first ever professional game, exhibition game, was against the Sonics. Um, I came in late in the game. The game was close. I think I had, like, 14 points and, like, five assists in, like, you know, like 20 minutes, like than 20 minutes. You know, all the all the new reporters were. You know, I was the first person they went to, and people were. You know, I mean, all all my teammates were like, "Wow!" Um, so I did really well. I mean, I had great time. Um, learned a lot. Steve Smith took me under his wing, basically showed me the ropes of how how to be a pro, um, how to work, do that stuff. I, I, you know, I to this day I'll never forget him. Detlef Shrimp, I had knew him already before from from being in he was in the Seattle area when I grew up, um, and so I I definitely knew. You know, the, the, the type of work that he had, um, Damon Stoudemire was great to me. Greg, Brian Grant was phenomenal to me. He was injured a lot when I was there, um, but he was huge. Um, all those guys, um, Rashid was, was the most generous human being I've ever been around in my life. Um, he just didn't get along with refs too well. But <laughs> everybody else, everybody else he was great too. Um, those guys, Bonzi Wells. Formed a, 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 a bond with him. I mean, those those guys were just phenomenal. I had a great time. Um, and then, you know, uh, last day of training camp, you know, um, you know, I thought I was good. You know, I thought I was good. I thought I was going to be on. I thought I was going to be there for at least two years and learn from those guys and be there. You know, for, for the contract I had, I was ready to go. It was it was all great. Last day of training camp, you know, they kind of brought me in and just, you know, they said, hey, you know, um, we made that trade. Um, for Scotty and we traded those guys away. Um, you know, we, we always plan to have you here as, as that guy to back up Scotty and, and Steve Smith and, you know, kind of be that next guy and learn from them. Um, but, but Stacey Ogden had got waived by the Houston Rockets after they traded him and, uh, Portland got first right to the season and they brought him back and, and they just, they just kind of played out there and said, Hey, we think you have a bright future. You, you know, you have, you know, you'll be on a team. They said, but, you know, we are, we're trying to win a championship and, and Stacey Ogden is one of the premier defenders in the NBA, wing defenders in the NBA. And we feel that, you know, we need him to, you know, to guard Kobe Bryant. We need him to guard, you know, whoever in order for us to win a championship. And that was the spot that we had slotted for him. I mean, it was that cut and dry. And, you know, I mean, obviously I was disappointed. I mean, I was really disappointed. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was heartbroken because, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I knew what I was going to do, but, um, you know, I didn't waste any time. I didn't waste any time. You know, I called my wife and said, Hey, we gotta pack up, we gotta get home, we gotta get to work. I mean, I gotta get to work and I gotta be ready for whatever's next. And, you know, um, our Venus Sabonis was great. You know, he offered me a job on, for, with the team that he owned for a boatload of money going to Lithuania, um, and playing for a team that he owned. Um, you know, and so, you know, all those, everybody, everything about it was really, really great. I mean, that was a bittersweet moment because it was, it was heartbreaking, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it definitely shaped me. I mean, it definitely shaped me and shaped me for the rest of my career, the rest of my life. <laughs> Man, that is, that's such a cool experience to hear the behind the scenes story of it all. I mean, obviously that was like a, a 15 minute blurb of like, a couple of months, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot going on in that couple months and it's, it's insane to hear it 
from you what was going on. And bless your wife's heart, man, because if I'm not mistaken, you guys, I think your oldest boy was really, really little. So you, you had that experience there. Obviously, it shaped you. Your pro career did not end um, when you when you got let go uh, at the end of training camp. You had a good run in the pros, and a lot of it was overseas. A lot of, You had a couple years here as well with the Idaho Stampede. A couple stints with the Stampede, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was three, um, and one of them, you actually won the, the D-League championship, I think. Uh, man, in, in, in your time overseas, though, that's this is one thing, because I had a podcast episode I did talking about the the G League, which was used to be the D League, versus Euro Ball and overseas basketball, and why certain players decide to go over there rather than st- stay here and try to make it in the G League. Uh, there's you know pros and cons, salaries, money, this and that. Um, but you went overseas and had a really successful career. Uh, what was your what was your favorite experience playing over there, and how did it elevate your game for when you came back in and even played for the the Stampede? Well, um, I think my favorite experience of being overseas was um, my middle my middle son Ryzen. Um, he actually he actually called Biggie. So nobody even nobody even he. I don't even know if he knows his first name. <laughs> if he doesn't even like it, um, he, he, he's a he's a junior. He's a junior um, at Bora at Bora High. Um, but he was born in France, so he was born in France in Dijon, France. My first year. Um, Playing um, Europe, playing European. I, you know, I played the two years in um, in the NBA and CBA, and then that third year um, in Europe, um, I was in the CBA, and the CBA went. Uh, it was when Isaiah was running, went bankrupt, and so we had no jobs until I got a job in France, and he was born over there. So that was absolutely my my favorite experience um, over there was, was, was obviously his birth and, and um, you know raising him over there and and, and all that. So it was. Um, it was, it was it was incredible. It was incredible. Um, but but my whole my, as a whole, my European experience um, changed. It absolutely changed my life. I mean, I think I I know for a fact going to Boise um, that saved my life. Um, it definitely um, being there helped me to have an environment to mature. Um, I matured. I got rid of you know all of the the just the the, the toxic you know, things I was doing, you know, in my life up to that point. Um, and just got really simple, simplified my life and what I wanted to do. And, and obviously, um, it was basketball and, and my family and creative built the family. But Europe actually changed my life um, um, dramatically because it gave me, it helped me with tolerance and it helped me to, um, you know, learn and experience other cultures and have more understanding and better understanding of people. Up to that point, I, I could be, I was a little bit, you know, closed-minded. I would say, you know, you know, it's, it, you know, just the way we are. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I, I enjoy people and I think I was open and friendly to everyone, but, you know, I, I think I, I found this time to be judgmental about, you know, if people did things a certain way. And then when you get, when you go to Europe, Everything is different. Um, right. Even you know, I mean, just the, just personal space is different, and having to adjust to having you know somebody stand and breathe on your neck in the supermarket line and have to and have to get used to that, you know, every day, you know, instead of turning around and giving them the evil eye like, why are you so close to me, you know, help me to 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 again be understanding and tolerant of you know all people and what people are going through, what people believe, and start to realize that. Just because people are different doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean it's wrong. And, um, you know, Europe helped me to change that. And, you know, I got to be, 
you know, I lived in France with the French, um, you know, lived in, in Maria, Spain one year, which is actually um, on the northern tip of Africa, Morocco, and spent a lot of time with, 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 with you know, in the, in the Islam community. Um, we lived in Spain, you know, in the, in, in the Catholic community, um, you know, with Turkey, and in Turkey, obviously, you know, they're a big Islamic state, played in South Korea, um, and, and learned about that culture, and so... Um, I just think it was such a cultural experience for me that it changed, you know, it changed my outlook on, on life. So it was, that's, that's the best part about it. That's so rad. It's, it's so cool to hear that uh, because a lot of people don't hear the, the whole experience. Most people just look at the big players that go overseas or playing over there just because the money's decent, you know, and uh, they don't really hear the cultural side of it. So that's awesome. Um, the last thing I'll ask you about your pro career, Roberto, what was your greatest accomplishment as a professional as a professional yeah as a professional as a professional basketball player professional, <laughs> as a professional basketball player my biggest accomplishment i probably have to say three things one being drafted two winning the d-league championship and then three um getting getting my jersey jersey retired by the stampede that was probably the three but it was probably the top three accomplishments and that jersey retirement was number 11, which uh, you told us earlier you switched to number 11 for Jerry Washington. So that must be really special, the fact that you got that number 11 retired. Yeah, um, it is. It is. And I just, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's another one of those moments that, you know, you, you feel proud that you were able, that I'm hopefully that people see that number and, and don't just associate it with me, but associate it with Jerry as well. And, it may, and and so it does. I mean, I, I feel proud that I was able to hopefully, you know, continue to keep, um, you know, to let people keep keep him on their on the top of the on the top of his head. And you know, I mean, the people out there that you know are listening, there are people that listen that remember G Dub, remember Jerry. Um, you know, I mean, he's still in the same state he is. Um, he's living with his parents in L.A. Um, and you know, he's still alive. I mean, he's still alive, and breathing, and kicking, and, and, and recognizing. I mean, he's not functioning like he was before. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully people, when they go, um, you know, to the arena, I haven't been to the arena in, in, in two years, so I don't know if it's still hanging up there as well. I know they were talking about taking it down. I'm hoping it's still there, but if they do take it down, um, hopefully I'll get it. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, I would love to be able to have it. Um, but, you know, just, just, just to keep him and his family, you know, in, in, in mind and, and remember him and remember the great thing that he did for the Boise community because he was huge. He was huge. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now, to wrap up, I want to actually talk about how you're making another stamp, another impact in the Treasure Valley. Um, your, your pro career may be over, but you're still making an impact with the youth. Now, a couple of years back, well, it's not been a couple, it's been about eight years ago, I returned from Brazil serving a, mi a mission for my church. And I got back from Brazil after being gone for two years, and I was at—I was actually running. Uh, I was coaching for the Special Olympics. I did two years of that just um, over there. And one of the the referees was a volunteer referee. And this—I just remember talking to her. She was telling me, she's like, "Yeah, you'll want to keep an eye on this guy right here." And, and there's like three basketball players, and they were in the eighth grade, if I'm not mistaken, seventh or eighth grade, going into ninth grade. And she's like, "These guys—they play for Hoop Dreams." And I'm like, "What the heck is Hoop Dreams?" <laughs> and she's like. Uh, it's a, it's like a club team and they, uh, they're really good. They, they play against some really good, like really good talent regionally and they have been competing, blah, 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 blah. Well, anyways, I see them shooting around and one of the kids takes a Euro step 
Um, and I'm like, what eighth grader can do a Euro step? Like, who, that's not even a thing, you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't even thought of, like, in high school when I was playing for Meridian. So it was like, we didn't learn Euro steps in high school. These kids are doing it in the eighth grade. And then I started looking into it. I'm like, what is Hoop Dreams? And that's when your name came up. I want you to talk about how you're bringing knowledge to help the youth. Like, you're using your knowledge, your game, everything you experienced throughout your career, and now you're you're – you're showing other people how to do it. What is Hoop Dreams, and can you explain how it started and what, what you got planned for it? Well, my second year out professionally, um, the summers, in the summertime, I would always come back to Boise State and work out with my coach, Ed Boyce, because he, he was kind of my workout guy. Um, so I came back in the summer, and he and he and I were talking, um, and we just were kind of looking around, and it was just like, you know, we, 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 there were some kids. His, his, his kid was, was – um, was uh, his kid was EJ Boyce, who actually who's actually playing at St. Martin's College now. Who probably was one of those eighth graders that you saw. <laughs> right. Um, he was on that team. He was phenomenal. Um, he was in the third grade at that point. He was in the third grade at that point. Um, my son Rylan was just getting ready to go in the, going into. Um, uh, no, I think EJ was second grader. EJ was a second grader, and Rylan was kindergarten. Um, and so we were talking about, you know, our kids doing some camps and stuff. And it was like, man, I've, I've been and looked around. And there's just, the, the camps, they're just not high-quality camps. And he said, um, you know, what do you think about it? And so he and I, we got together and said, let's let's do a summer camp. Let's do a summer camp for the kids in Boise. Just, you know, like you said, we just wanted to share our knowledge. I mean, we just wanted to be able to share what we had, had to help um, the kids you know, in the community, get you know some basketballs, you know, at, you know, at a level that that you know we thought would help the culture, help the basketball culture. Um, and so we were getting ready to start this camp. We met a guy by the name of Ben Reed, who at the time ran AAU and um, and worked for the YMCA. We met him and we brought him on to help us with the admin part of the camp. Um, and we formed Hoop Dreams basketball camp for Boda Bogerson's Hoop Dreams camp and. Um, we did those for a couple of years in the summer, and every time we get to the camp, we would have people coming to us, and they would ask us, hey, can we do more? Can we do more? We want to do more. We want to do more. We want to do more. So we went from doing a, uh, just one summer camp. When I would go overseas, Ed and Ben would run like a Christmas to holiday camp, and I would be gone, and, you know, we'd talk about what we need to do, and then, then we would do like a spring break camp. And in those camps, formed into can we do more and then so we started it kind of just grew to to we would have more kids we'd have waiting lists i mean we'd have waiting lists for our camps and we couldn't get to all the kids and so we just started getting more people involved and then shambles um williams came involved and cassidy blaine and more people that were former broncos um and we started doing these um what we call them academies and 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 they were first called so they were called uh premier premier academies um, and we did them for like, uh, we would do them for like month long stretches. You would, they would get like two days a week for like a whole month. Um, actually I think we even did two month stretches. Um, and then after that, they just, it just, again, people started more and more. And then at that point there was people that said, Hey, won't you guys, would you guys want to coach us? And this whole time I'm in Europe. And so I'm, and I'm hearing all this stuff, you know, I'm in Europe and I come back in the summers and work and Ed would just, and Ed and Ben would be working at home. And so then Ed boys, um, created a team, and it was his son, and then Isaiah Wright, who's at San Diego now, um, and um, Sam Simpson, who's at Seattle Pacific. Um, and, um, those three guys, 
Then there was a couple of other guys joined later. Braden Shaw, who's at BYU, he played on that team a little bit. Um, uh, they had they formed a team and they made a team and we called it Hoop Dreams. They called it Hoop Dreams. And then from then on, then it just started to trickle. There was other people that wanted to come under our umbrella and uh, and, and be coached by us and, and have us help learn them. Um, Cassidy Blaine started a girls team. There was another guy named Todd Lukey who came in. He had a couple of boys and some girls. And all of a sudden, it just blew up. I mean, it just blew up, and we just started having this team come in, and people wanted us to, you know, help them coach, and we started having kids. And so we sat down and said, hey, we got to figure out what some kind of structure for this. I mean, we had no structure for it at all. We just were kind of just, you know, people were asking for stuff, and so, you know, we were giving it to them. So we sat down, and we talked, and we just said, hey, what do you want to do with this, and what, 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 should we, what this is about? <clears throat> and our whole goal and our whole plan um you know, I mean, when, when you start to coach and you start to actually, like, give your information out, you, you realize and you recognize really quickly, you know, uh, you know that the, the coaching, uh, you know, the coaching and the tutelage is not even 50% of the development. The, uh, you know, development, um, the biggest, biggest part of development is actually the individuals and how they're going to take it. And the first thing, uh, you know, the, in developing, you know, players or kids or anybody is to get people that are similar so real and, and competitive against each other. And so we thought of this and said, hey, the best thing that we can do for the culture of uh, the basketball culture in Boise is try to get the the kids that want it the most. The kids that really, really want and desire to be basketball players and that they just want to be committed, get them, and they're going to compete against each other. And if they compete against each other, that's more than 50% of the development of what we're doing. The rest of it, we can help them. We can teach them to do these things and help them, but it's not going to go anywhere if the kids don't really want it. And so that was our whole goal was to try to get the best kids or the most competitive kids or the kids that desire the most together and actually let steel sharpen steel. And, um, you know, so that was kind of our focus. We just wanted to build the basketball culture, um, and we wanted to try to do the best we could to enable some kids to have an opportunity to have a future after high school to to prolong their life and prolong their experiences. And I was hoping that some kids could have experiences like I had coming to Boise and changing my life or playing professionally or or meeting these these people in relationships, but through basketball, and the only we knew the only way they could do it is they were really really good. And at that point, there just wasn't a whole lot of kids. I mean, I think on average, I think it was like the average at that time when we started, the average per year of boys, anyways, that were going on to playing college basketball, to playing Division One basketball, was like a half. It was like point five. It was it wasn't even one full player. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, by the time we got to 2013, that it changed to like one and a half. <laughs> um, and then in the 2014 class, which was our first class that we started with, that was the class with Isaiah Wright, EJ Boyce, um, there were four players on that team that played Division One basketball from one, from one class, from one team. I mean, it was unheard of, um, you know, considering – on average, there was 1.5 players from the state, from the whole state. Um, and so that's kind of the start of Hoop Dreams and how it started, how it went. And it's just grown and grown and grown. And not only has it grown 
you know, in hoop dreams, but it's grown along the community. Now, you know, we were the only, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, travel team or club basketball. You know, now there's eight of them probably. You know, I don't know. There might not be eight. That might be a, a hyperbole, but there's, there's at least six or seven. Um, and then a bunch of other athletes. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's trying to do it. Everybody's learning. You know, I mean, it's, it's cool to see that the culture of Boise has, the basketball in Boise has gone from where you couldn't even, kids couldn't find a place to play or, the, or, or, or coach the coach or whatever. So now there's basketball going on all the time, all year round. That has been a plus. But, you know, just like everything in life, when you have any type of, um, you know, um, evolution and any advancement and any, you know, any growth, there's also, you know, session. And so it's kind of actually the club stuff has kind of actually watered down some things down a little bit too, because now you've got, you know, instead of having all those good players together, learning all in one place and sharpening each other, you've kind of got fashions here and there and here and there. And so, you know, it's kind of been a little bit of, it's, it's, it's got to a little bit of a, a plateau a little bit. And so at this point, we're, we're, we're brainstorming. We're brainstorming ways of kind of continuing to raise that culture and let that culture continue to grow. Um, you know, our 2016 and 17 class we had, um, our girls, the girls is, is phenomenal. The girls is just killing it. I mean, we've had so many Division One girls right now. Um, you know, Tori Williams is the best freshman in the Pac-12, and she's killing it. Utah, Destiny. Um, Destiny Slocum was the player, the freshman player of the year last year. She's sitting out at Oregon State this year. Mandy Simpson is, you know, I started some games at Oklahoma. She got a 13 rebound game as a freshman. Um, Lauren Brocky is, is, you know, playing at Colorado State. Um, I mean, uh, it's just been huge. And our boys of 2016 and 17 class, we had six kids out of there that are being that are Division One. DeAndre Jones just had a triple double the other day, the first player ever in. The first player since Scotty Pippen, which is crazy, right? Full circle um, at Central Arkansas to have a triple double in the game. So that stuff has been great. Um, and this year, the 2018 class, I think there's only one um, kid from the from the area that has a Division One scholarship. And in 2019, hopefully that'll kind of go a little bit more. So it started to plateau out a little bit. We're trying to raise that level again. But that's our whole goal. Our whole goal is to try to give kids opportunities and experiences similar to what we have had in life that has helped us to just, you know, to be where we are today and hopefully be able to say that, you know, we're good people. Um, and and, it, and it's, it's all because, you know, basketball kind of gave us that platform to do it and gave us the tools to do it. So, For sure, man. It's, it's so awesome to see how you made an impact as a player, a young, you know, 20, in your early 20s here in Boise, you know, flash forward. 20 years later or so and you're still doing it and uh helping the young kids out and, and that hoop dreams squad you were referring to like uh with ej and isaiah all them like you had even like the guys like john shirley like the guys that man like there's a lot of kids that that grew up uh, i watched them through high school and just seeing them now i'm like my goodness dude and it's cool because you had a direct impact on that uh, and like you said it, it's got to be the kids that want it so like steel sharp and steel essentially like you got the good coaching but they've got to have the desire it's cool to see when you can mix both of them and see the success that you've seen with those guys and obviously I mean your boys playing over at BYU like you've got like <laughs> I'm just telling you man you're making a major impact and it's cool to watch that it, it, you're just the Treasure Valley should be grateful for Roberto Bergeson in, in, in more ways than one so um, I appreciate you joining the show with me today, Berto. Uh, and for all my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this and learned something from it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before you leave, please head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. 
I would greatly appreciate it because it helps me out a ton. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the support.